leading us in worship. I'm guilty myself of taking her for granted sometimes, but I appreciate the the gifts that the Lord has given her and that she would use those for him and for us. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to uh, dismiss our children. My wife is actually also going to fill in today for the for the children's class. So our children, 12 and under, you're welcome to go with her to the children's class today. I asked Brother Timothy to let me keep the young people in here today because I feel like I have something that the Lord wants us to hear and I want to let us all be hearers of this today, what the Lord would speak to us. So Young people, if you were looking forward to a youth class today, I'm the reason why you're down here and not up there. But next week, Lord willing, we'll let that be done. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are you glad to be here today? Amen. Now, whether you, whether you know this or not, whether you realize this or not, I think many of you do. You are a part of something by being here. Not just by being here, but as a part of what we are a part of, we are here. The Lord allows us to gather together like this. And we call this, I don't know about you, but I say it a lot. My son actually woke up this morning and he said, is it the weekend today? I said, yeah, it's. You know, that, that's kind of a loaded question sometimes because it means what do we get to do? What are we going to do? And, and so I said, yeah, it's the weekend. Today's Sunday. We're going to church. And I'm thankful that we get to gather here. But so uh, I use the terminology often. I'm not just trying to, you know, pick, a, pick against anybody that uses words or sayings. We call this building 3505 Main Street and Union Gap, we call this the church. And uh, it's not so much because of the building, the walls, the carpet, the microphones, and the chairs. It's not really because of that. We call it the church, and we, we think of this as the church. But what you are a part of is the church. The church is not a building. It's a group of people it's a body that's who we are everyone say i am the church we make it up we we are here and without us being here there is no church some of you like me you might visit this building throughout the week occasionally for different reasons different purposes and i'll tell you what it feels a lot different when you walk in here you know what uh, nine o'clock on a monday morning or or uh, 7 o'clock on a Friday night when nobody else is here and the lights are off and it's quiet and all that, then you realize, well, this is just a building. In fact, those lights aren't even going to turn on unless I go over there and hit the switch. But it's because we are the building and what we bring when we gather is that element of the church and his body. I just want to talk a little bit today about the church. Who is the church? What is the church? And why is there a church? How do we know what the church is? I felt the Lord was giving me some of these scriptures, and I want to, uh, to walk through this together and so we see and realize what is it that we are a part of and what's the significance of being a part of this. I'm going to read here Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. This verse, I I want you to see what's written here. We know who's the writer of the book of Acts, right? That's Luke was the writer of the book of Acts. In this passage in, in Acts chapter 20, he's quoting the words of Paul. And we know Paul was a great and mighty apostle. Uh, The Lord used him to do great things for the church, for the church. You know that? Would you believe that? The things that Paul did that many years ago was actually for you and for me. Wasn't for this building. 
but it was for us because we're a part of the church. And even he's talking here about some of the things that Jesus Christ did, and he did them for the church. Now watch. This is Paul writing. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Everyone say the flock. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. To feed the church of God. We're talking about the church. And uh, I realize I, I'm standing up here. I'm the congregational elder. And, and I, this, this terminology that's written in this verse, is, it applies to me. But you know what? It also applies to you. It applies to all of us. Because you, once you are a part of the body of Christ, you have a responsibility to the body of Christ. My, my children, you know, they, they, they weren't just born to take up space in my house to use up the water and the electricity and the food. They, I, and I try to get this across to them as much as I can. You know, you have a responsibility to this family. Sometimes it's just picking up your shoes because you left them right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you don't pick them up, I probably will. But it's not just my responsibility. You have a responsibility to this household because of the things that are here for you and the things that you bring. So it's the same with the body of Christ and the church. You know, if we just think about that example from a spiritual context. If you, if you just feel like you can walk in here and start unloading all your problems and it, oh man, I'm just going to tell you how bad of a person I am and here's what's, what all's wrong with me. And, you know, well, that's good that we confess, right? The Bible says that we confess our faults. But I'm going to tell you, you know what? The Lord has done some works for you. He's made them available to you. But do you want to participate in this or not? Or, or do you really just want somewhere to go to tell everybody how much you messed up? And how bad you are. I mean, you're still welcome here, right? But we know that there's a lot more for us as a part of the church than that. So he says it, take care of the flock, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, man, I, I didn't even see the Lord taking us here, but look at that verse. I'm going to read that again really, really slowly. The church of God, everyone say God, which he, everyone say he, who's he, God, hath purchased with his own blood. This, I didn't intend to teach a oneness message today, but if you can't find the oneness in that verse right there, you have a problem. Because whose blood did he purchase the church with? His own. No, wait, I must have read that wrong. It says, the church of God, which he purchased with his son's blood. The church of God, which he created some man just so that he could be born and, and die for you for his blood. No, his own blood. The church of God. He purchased it with his own blood. He purchased us. If I said it, the, the church is the people. It's you and it's me. He purchased us with his blood. That's what, how, what is, what is that? Like he went, to, he went to one of those places and gave a little blood? No. He went to the cross and he died for you, for me. He purchased. Everyone says purchase. We know what it means to purchase, right? You go and you take your money, the thing that you have that's valuable, and you give it. And in return, you get the thing that you purchased. I didn't realize this is kind of elementary, but it's the truth, and it's in the Word of God. He used his blood, the thing that he had to give, 
to buy the church purchased with his own blood. Now, let me read, read you some things that I felt the Lord gave me to, to share along these lines. Jesus died for everyone. Do you believe that? Can anybody tell me someone that Jesus did not die for? He died for everyone. We believe that. But not everyone has made application of his death over their lives. He died for all of us, but not all of us realize and understand and have made application of the fact that he died for us. It's kind of like voting. This is going to be a fun analogy. Voting. Is anybody here? Who, if you're under the age of 18, you know, just wait, wait a few years. But if you're over the age of 18 and you are a citizen of this country, you have the right to vote. So we all vote, right? No. Not unless you actually go down to my work. Yeah, I work there at the courthouse. Or wherever else you're going to go and send. You know, you have, to, you have to get a piece of paper. This is the way things work in Yakima County. You have to get a piece of paper. You have to get some kind of writing instrument. That's an intentional, right? You can't just, oh, okay, here's, here, here's the names. All right, I made my choice. No, you have to actually intentionally find a pen. Oh, that's so hard, isn't it? I don't think I'm going to vote because I actually have to go find a pen. That sounds ridiculous, right? But there, you have to apply yourself to the thing that is available to you. That's your right. Everyone here has the Second Amendment to own a gun. So we all own guns, right? Probably not. I mean, you might. I don't want to take a poll of the room right now and find that out. But we might. But it doesn't just mean because we have the right to that we automatically say, all right, I got one. So why do we say, well, Jesus died for all of us, so we're all just automatically saved? You have to apply the application of his death. Let me read this because I like it. We say that many men and women have given their lives for our right to vote and the other freedoms that we have in this country, right? And I'm thankful for that, that men and women would sacrifice their lives, that we have these rights. But that doesn't mean we all vote. You have the right to vote, but you don't apply that right until you exercise the right by actually voting. You have the right to be saved. You have the right to go to heaven. Now, if Jesus had not died for our sins, I couldn't make that statement. But because he did, I can make that statement. You have the right to be saved, to make it to heaven. You believe that? Because he died for you. I can't just say, because he died for us, we're all going to go to heaven. No more than I can say, because all those men and women died for our right to vote, we're all going to vote. You see? It's a simple analogy, but it becomes a personal responsibility to act on. We call this to exercise our right I really want to go down a rabbit trail, but I'm not going to. You just think about what are your God-given rights. Okay? Just think about that. And, and, and if I was a teacher, I would tell you to write an assignment about that, and we'll go over it next week. Think about what are your God-given rights. I'm going to stop right there before I make somebody mad. <laughs> so it's the same. 
You, you exercise your right to vote. It's the same with applying the death or the blood of Jesus to your life. You exercise it. You exercise his death. You exercise his blood that he purchased you with, that he gave for you. How do you exercise it? How do I exercise my right to his death? By being washed in his blood. By being buried in baptism. Now, stay with me. I, I, I realize that I think everybody here, for the most part, gets this and is okay with it. But I, I feel the need I have to repeat this. We have no problem saying your vote doesn't count unless you use the right pen and check the right box and send it in accordingly. Follow the instructions. We have no problem saying that. I wouldn't even want to think about what an election would look like if we didn't have those rules and, you know, the guidelines. But we have a major problem when someone says, if you want to go to heaven, you have to follow these instructions if you want to apply the blood of God to your life you have to follow these directions no <laughs> nope I get to do what I want God made me free he gave me the choice and and here's another one no you don't get saved by doing works that's what people like to say okay then you don't <laughs> You don't vote by doing a work either. You just send them those thoughts. Send those thoughts to the auditor's office. And your vote will count. It, it, why do we have such a problem with saying you have to follow these things? Now being baptized, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Being baptized is the first step. That's how you apply the blood of Christ to your life. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. He's already been Buried. He already died. He already got buried. He already rose from the death. Now we get to do those things with him. Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you... Being dead in your sins of the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. Okay, I know we kind of went from talking elementary stuff to a little bit more bigger words of, bad, uh, of religion, right? It's in the Bible. Does one thing get to apply and the other one not just because it's harder to read and understand? Nope. So, but Paul is talking here about my connection, how I apply the blood of Jesus to my life. And he says Jesus was the example, how he died, how he got buried, how the Lord raised him from the dead. That's the same example. That's the same process. That's the word we're looking for, process. That's the process that you go through. You die. You die. Then you get buried. And then you rise and walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many as a, of us as were baptized... That means, don't you know that as many of us who got baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. The pro- What's the point of this baptism? Why? Why, why? why do we even need to be baptized? What, what good comes of being baptized? And Paul says it. Don't you know, those of us that get baptized, now we can relate to the death of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about who is the church, remember? The church is made up of people. Let me, let me do some rubber meeting the road for just a minute. At what point does someone become a part of the church? Because we said it, the church is not this building, but it's the gathering of the people here. So does that mean someone can just be here at 11 o'clock on Sunday, be here at 7 o'clock Tuesday night, Not just one week, I mean two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months, a year, six years, ten years, however many years you want to, 45 years. If they, now, if they've been here for 45 years, faithfully, they're part of the church, right? Well, they're a part of the group of people that gathers here. But are they a part of his church? Or do you become a part of his church when you apply these things? Again, he said it all the way back in Acts. He, the, the, the blood of God, the church of God. He purchased the church with his blood. So if I know that he purchased the church with his blood... And I know there has to be an application of that in my life for me to be a part of it. Now I'm starting to see, okay, I can't just go to an address at a certain time on a certain day. Enough. That's no, there is no application of the blood of Christ. I tell you what, we pray over those doors. We pray over these chairs. We pray over all of this. But... Pardon me for this expression. You can't just sit on a bloody seat and then say, I got the blood of Christ applied to my life. You can't shake hands with the bloody preacher and say, I got the blood applied to my life. There is a way. There is a way. It's not attendance. Attendance is important. I'm not knocking that. Okay, but we have to understand the difference, the application of it to my life. He had to die for our sins. He had to. The man, Jesus Christ, had to die for our sins. Without his death, there would be no church. Do you believe that? Without his death, he purchased the church with his blood. So if he had not have died, he would not have had the blood to buy the church. So there would be no church. He purchased and he had to do it. I'm just taking you back to the timeline of how we got here. There would be no church if there was no father who said, I need to go down there and redeem That means buy, purchase, those people, my people. I have a way to do that. I will robe myself in flesh. I will live among them, dwell among them. I will will make myself susceptible to the law that they are supposed to be living and following. And I will fulfill the law. 
And then I will die purchasing their salvation. He had to die for our sins. Without his death, there would be no church. My sin, everyone say my sin. My sin is the reason he had to die. My sin is the reason he had. I love all of you. I love you greatly. But I would not sacrifice you for me. My sin is the reason he had to die. He did it for me. Everyone say he did it for me. There's a passage in the Bible that's similar to this. When somebody says he died for your sins, you put him to death. You caused him to die. It's in Acts chapter 2. Wait a second. Acts chapter 2, that's like, the, that's like the beginning of the church in a different, totally different context, right? It's the same. Because after the Lord purchased the church with his blood and then sent his spirit, that's in Acts chapter 2, by the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking in tongues. After all that, it started to make some people ask and wonder, what's happening here? What is, what is that going on? You know what it is? There were miracles that took place that day that got the people's attention. The miracle, in, in this instance, I, I, I tell you what, I'm trying to not go down these rabbit trails. <laughs> the miracle of Acts chapter 2 was for the hearers. The, the infilling of the Holy Ghost was for the believer, right? The promise of the Father being endued with power, that was for the believer. It was because of their obedience. Because they were told, go there and wait and tarry until you get this. Okay, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but I'll do it. Their obedience came when there was the sound of the rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house that they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. That was for the people in that room. And then, miracles. Hang on, do you hear that? What's coming from that house up there? What's coming from that room? It's like there's this loud noise and it's a bunch of different people talking. But hang on. That language sounds kind of like my home language. Where they speak where I'm from. That he is. We got to find out what's going on here. What is this all about? How are you speaking in these many different languages. Read it. I don't have the time to. Look at Acts chapter 2. Read it. it. It talks about every single person who was there in Jerusalem had an appointment with a miracle. And they didn't even know it. But because they hear the sound, because they hear the sound of these men speaking in their own language and they say, these Jews from Jerusalem shouldn't know how to speak my language perfectly in my dialect and sound just like my grandma used to sound. How is that? That's a miracle for the hearer. We would call them the non-believer. For the unsaved, that's a miracle for them. Now, I, 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 I'm just going to make this point really quickly. It's not the reason why I, uh, why I wanted to speak today. But when we start shifting our focus of needing a miracle, wanting a miracle, being desperate for a miracle, just because we want to be able to say we had a miracle, when we take the focus off of that and say, I am ready for miracles to draw 
the unbeliever. Then we will start to see what they saw in Acts chapter 2. And more. That's, that's prophesied. That's the word of God. Greater works than these shall you do. But we just want to see one little miracle because we think it's cool. It, the, the purpose of the miracle is for the non-believer to see and sign a, a sign of what's happening there. So all that to say, they hear the language, they go up, they, they ask what's happening, what's taking place, and then this great guy, Apostle Peter, starts to preach to them and tells them exactly what's happening. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. It's the pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. But wait, there's more. We only got here. Because there was a man named Jesus Christ who lived among us, you know him, you saw him, and furthermore, you crucified him. You put him to death. You see where we're going with this. My sin caused him to die. I am responsible for that. He had to die for my sin. Now, I, I'm of the opinion there were two different groups of people that heard, they both heard Peter say the same thing, but they responded in two different ways. If I just go to Brother DeAndre and Sister Shakila and I say, you're both wrong. You need to get right. I'm not saying that. I love you guys. But you see, if I said that and one of them said, oh, you're right. I need to get right. You're, you're right. And the other one said, mm-mm. I'm not. Not me. I said the same thing to both of them, right? But they, one hears one thing and responds one way. The, so this is what I'm saying happens in Jerusalem. That day when Peter said, you men have crucified him. When they heard this, I'm going to read this to you real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Oh, this is the end. This is wrapping up what Peter said. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, verse 3, we preach Acts 2.38 to death, but I think we need a little bit more Acts 2.37. When they heard this, when they heard what? He died because of you. He died because of you. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, nothing. He died for your sins. His blood's already shed. You're good. We'll see you in heaven. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The, when the answer to the question, what do I do, is nothing. Just believe. Just confess it. Just repeat after me. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm telling you what the Bible says. When you, the greatest thing you can do for a person in your walk with God, being used in the kingdom, the greatest thing you can do for somebody else that's a non-believer is get them to this point where they see Jesus Christ died for my sins and they ask the question, somehow, someway in their spirit, their response is, what am I supposed to do about this? Man, I'm rejoicing just because you got that far because from there, it's easy. 
You are now exactly where all of these people got on Acts chapter 2, on that day of Pentecost. And now, I don't, <laughs> I don't even have to come up with some great Bible study, some sermon. I don't have to take you to a preacher. I don't say wait until next Sunday. All I have to do is say, like Peter said, you want to know what to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is repent. You've acknowledged it. Repenting is not acknowledging it. You acknowledged it in the question when you said, what am I supposed to do? You see the difference? You acknowledged it when you said you heard the word of God and you believed it. That's true. What am I supposed to do? Okay, I acknowledged it. Now you need to repent. Okay, what does that mean? Change. You're the reason why he died because of your sins. Change the sinful ways. It doesn't mean to ask for forgiveness either. We, we get this really, it's really easy to see how far off the mark we can be when we say, well, just tell God you're sorry for your sins. And I understand none of us are experts at this. But we have the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is the expert. We, we, we start there, and I'm not saying it's wrong. You, you, that's the part of the acknowledgement, asking for forgiveness. But repent, every one of you, means don't be like who you've been up to this point. Don't be the reason you were he had to die. Change. Start the process of changing. That's all we're saying. Start the process. I'm not saying, well, you've got to get right. And you need to learn this Bible and be able to quote it, memorize it, commit it to your memory, and then we'll talk. Nope. Okay, start dressing this way, start acting this way, and get rid of all that stuff, and then we'll talk. Nope. Start the process. Look into your heart and honestly ask Jesus, who do you want me to be? What am I supposed to do? And then with your help and with your grace, I'll try to do that. That's repentance. That's number one. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's the application of the blood that God used to purchase us, the church. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, watch this. I'm going to try to help somebody. I'm almost done. Two of those are actions. The third one... It's, it's a, I guess you could say it's an action too, but it's not something that I initiate. Okay? The, the repentance, I initiate. The being baptized, I initiate. The receiving of the Holy Ghost, He initiates. He initiates it. He's the one that says, I'm ready to give you the Holy Ghost. Would you just receive it? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to read this really quickly, and then I'm going to be done. Why don't you stand with me? You are not a part of the church because you attend services at a building. You're not a part of the church because you're part of a religious family. You're not a part of the church because you hang out with godly people. It's not the way, it's not because you dress 
or act or talk a certain way. These are all characteristics of the church. Characteristics, things you can say, they are like this. But doing any one or all of those things does not make you the church. They're characteristics of the church, but they are not what determines who is the church. Some of us in here, we've been saved, we've been baptized, we've received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Some of us in here, we've been baptized, but we haven't received the Holy Ghost yet. And some of us in here have not been baptized. They're at every stage. We are at every stage of the process. But here's what I can tell you for sure. I know this. We all want to be a part of the church. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to. Is that truth? Anybody not want to be a part of the church? Now, what the Lord has told us today is what we need to do to become a part of the church. So wherever I'm at, I didn't even get to the last part, which is talking to all of us that have already experienced this, because once, you're, once you've done the things you're supposed to do, you have to stay a part of the church. It's not a one-time, one-size-fits-all, we did it, we're good, we'll see you in heaven. Uh-uh, it's the start. I heard a preacher say this. I loved the way that he put this. Being baptized, repenting of your sins, being baptized, and being filled with the Holy Ghost is not a graduation certificate. Congratulations, you finally made it. It is a birth certificate. We call it the new birth experience because at that point forward, at that point forward, now I say, I'm, I've arisen and I'm going to walk in newness of life like the Bible says. What does this new life look like? I told you I, I'm trying not to get that far, but there's more. What I want us to do is I want us to just take some time and respond to what we've heard from God today about my station in life. Where am I? What am I supposed to do? What, what do I do to be a part of the church? What do I do to make sure I'm saved? What do I do if I've already had these things but I still don't feel like it? What do I do? Let the Lord speak to you. Amen. I'm going to ask us to pray. I'm going to open these altars if you want to come and pray. But wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to find a place and pray and respond to what the Lord has done and said here today. Every eye closed. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, my God, for speaking to us today. Jesus, I thank you that you would die on a cross for my sins. You are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm thankful to you, Jesus, that you would choose to die in my place. As the Word says it, God, you purchased me with your blood. You purchased the church with your blood. God, I want to be a part of that number. I want to be a part of the church in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I want to be a part, God, of the church, of the living God. Jesus, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to do, God, I start, Lord, at a place of acknowledging 
that you died for me. God, I start at that place of acknowledging you shed your blood on the cross for me, for my sins. Lord, I repent today. Lord, I want to turn from my evil ways. I want to turn from my own human ways, God. The sinful nature that caused you to die. Lord, I am choosing right now by your grace. Lord, by your grace and with your help, I'm choosing to change, to turn. Lord, to turn away from my own ways. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I want to apply your blood to my life to cover my sins. For the remission of my sins, God. To purchase them and take them away. In the name of Jesus. Lord, in your name. I thank you for it. I thank you for the grace, Lord. I thank you for the grace and for the mercy that you've reached out and extended to me today. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, the Spirit of God is here. I'm just asking you to respond to His Spirit. In the name of Jesus.
Praise the Lord, church. I just, I just have a word from the Lord. He was just speaking to me right now. And you know what pastor was preaching? Because the, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? It is the gift of God. See, all this, what he was talking about, if you understand, Jesus went to the cross was nailed on that cross, was whipped, was marred more than any man for us. And you know what? He was not ashamed. He was not ashamed uh, so that we could come and worship him and praise him. I mean, he did all this for us so that we could have salvation. I'm so glad because I know where I was going. I know how my life was. And, and, but but because of his grace that he was willing to go to that cross wear that crown of thorns with the thorns stuck in his head for me a sinner i was saying crucify him crucify him but you know what he was saying father forgive him for he knows not what he does and he still if I would have been the only man here on this earth, he still would have gone and died on that cross. If any one of you would have been the only one on this earth, he still would have gone to that cross, gave his life, shed his blood on the cross, which now watches away our sins, makes us free from death, from, from going to hell and, and going to heaven. He came and did that for us. Now, I don't know, but I am grateful for what he done, for that grace that he said, yes, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to shed my blood. And that's why we come to worship him, to praise him, to give him all the honor and all the glory. Because we woke up this morning. We could have not woke up. What if we don't wake up tomorrow? Are we ready? Have we repented? Like Pastor was preaching, have we been baptized? Are we covered with the blood? Without the blood, we're lost. We need to be covered with the blood. We need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to make an effort to, Lord, this is what I want. This is what you require, Lord. Help me, lead me, guide me, talk to me, Lord. Let, let me not be ashamed of this. I know, because this is something so serious. It's either up there or down there. And we decide, how much do I want to go up there to be with him? No more death, no more pain, no more sickness, no more COVID up there. And we can live freely up there. And he's given that to us freely, freely. But we 